Looking for another New York City podcast? Our friends at Brooklyn Public Library have a podcast we love. Borrowed is a narrative show about superhero librarians, neighborhood stories, and what it means to be a free, democratic place in a changing world. They have episodes about libraries during natural disasters, intellectual freedom, the challenges of homelessness, and New York City's fraught relationship with trash. Just search for Borrowed in your podcast app of choice or on the web at bklynlibrary.org slash podcast. Welcome to Undiscarded, Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and Civic Organization in Brooklyn. Today we're talking about one of the larger items in the Reliquary's collection, an actual New York City newsstand. And it's smushed, almost hiding behind the display walls of the current Wonder Woman exhibit. They had to rearrange the display walls so I could get a good look at it. So what I'm looking at is a kiosk about seven feet tall by six feet deep and four feet wide, built out of plywood and two by fours and sheet metal. The whole thing is painted bright red. And over the service window, it has distinctive white lettering shouting out the stand's name, Petrella's Point. It would be really hard to miss this stand on any New York street corner. And I believe that's the point. In the pre-internet days, when people got their daily news from actual printed newspapers, stands like this one used to be everywhere in the city. And what was striking about them was how different they all could be. Each one had its own personality and look, unlike the newsstands of today, which are all pretty homogenous, all streamlined, made of stainless steel. Despite the variety in the older style newsstands, They were still all recognizably newsstands. They pretty much carried the same stock. Daily newspapers, popular magazine, and things like candy and gum. But the newsstand operator could decorate and lay it out however they wanted. And Dave Herman, the founder of the City Reliquary, is particularly attached to this artifact. New York City has really undergone a major change when it comes to what we would refer to as street furniture. At the time that Petrella's Point was in use, there weren't as strict rules on what you could do with your place of business that that belonged actually on the curb side of the street. Since then, there are a few people in charge of what the city should be looking like, in their opinion, and they have made that street furniture much more homogenized and a more cohesive aesthetic which in some people's eyes is a positive thing and represents a cleaner look. But in many ways, it marks a deterioration of the character of the city and the expressive spots, physical places where New Yorkers could show their own individual interests and personalities. So for us, that was the main reason for preserving Petrella's Point, the newsstand that we have here. And this particular newsstand is as unique as it gets. It was owned and operated by Adam Petrella on the corner of Canal Street and Bowery in Chinatown, bordered by Little Italy. 
He ran this newsstand for around 30 years, from the mid-1970s until the early 2000s. He began as an employee for the New York Times. That's originally these newsstands were operated by the newspaper companies themselves. And he often joked about his newsstand or any newsstand as being incorrectly called a newsstand because you could barely stand in them. They were so small and uncomfortable. I'm peering in there. It's mighty tight in there. I'm like, (laughs) where do you have space to move in there? (laughs) Now, granted, in the museum, we have reconfigured this just for the purposes of display. But it is uh, uh, reasonable. Well, there's a picture of there. It, look pretty, it yeah. looks pretty small in there, it too. It is. Yeah. You can see in the picture that, you know, standing up, he is about as tall as the newsstand himself. And he's on the sidewalk level. So you had to step up a small, a little riser onto a little riser to be in the stand itself. But he, you know, he would sit down in there and he would have another chair that we actually have on display in our newsstand, which he painted on the back of special guest or, I'm sorry. The guest of honor. The guest of honor chair that he always had outside of his newsstand was for anybody that would come and sit down and chat with him. And they were basically like the mayors of the block that we refer to now. And I think they too, similarly, were the personality of that street. You know, you could be the mayor of New York City and tell everybody what their block should look like. But really, block by block, each area would have its own person that kind of had um, witnessed the changes and the specific culture of that street itself. And in a sense, that's what Adam was as well. Adam was an artist, and he filled this little sidewalk kiosk, not just with newspaper and magazines for sale, but also with his own art. He began his career as an employee for the New York Times, but quickly he realized he had more interest in interacting with his public on a specific and personal level. And so he started making his own drawings and then selling them to people. Uh, For decades, he had already been doing these landscapes of the Bowery block by block, doing these full color little paintings, describing what the Bowery looked like for the decades that he was there. And his technique involved making an original, but then being a newsstand operator, he wanted to make them in mass quantities. And so he would bring these to a color copier and just rattle off a bunch of copies and then sell them affordably. To him, that's that was his product was after finishing the original is getting a stack of them. And his product was 25 cents, you know, not this elitist sort of painting that would be hung in a gallery, but something that was designed to be picked up on your way to the office. And, Along uh, with your newspaper. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, Work do you guys have from, a lot of this? Yeah, right? we have piles of these. I think the collection of paintings and drawings that he did would rotate. And so we have some that are just filed away and others that get brought up to the forefront. You never know whether you're going to see a picture of Bruce Lee next to a color image of Jesus Christ or the Pope or Muhammad Ali. And he's got a couple of the presidents so you can see. Yeah. Um, You know, you got Reagan over there, Clinton. Did he ever talk to you about Bruce Lee? There seems to be a lot of Bruce Lee in there. He's a big Bruce Lee (laughs) fan, but I think also as he would put the sign up there, it was the all-time bestseller. So I think he was a fan, but he also noticed he knew his market. He knew his market exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Likewise with the Pope, there people won. The Pope's pretty famous. People (laughs) like he kept churning him out. 
And is that, I'm just going to peek up at this one. Sure. That's the World Trade Center going down. Yeah. So we have uh, just above that is the Twin Towers as seen, you know, in a very idealistic perspective with the Statue of Liberty in the foreground, probably taken from the New York Harbor. But below that is a vision that he had from the perspective of his newsstand on September 11th, which is the moment that the towers began to fall. So knowing that he was witnessing history, he did what he did best, which was pull out his colored pencils and start to draft it. What was he like when you spoke to him? Was he like a straight shooter? Was he like joking around always? (laughs) Did he have any stories about who guests of honor were who sat in that chair? (laughs) Well, he was not a a boastful person. He was very humble and I think sincere and somebody who wanted to spend his time basically focusing on his own interests and making artwork, but having that be a way to spark exchange with people. And I think I assume a lot of people are like that. I definitely relate to that and wanting to have interactions with people, but wanting the tool to do that. Mm -hmm. And his artwork was his tool. It was not only to create these, the products of the paintings and the lettering and the signage and stuff, but just a tool for interaction. So I think that was what the newsstand was really all about is creating this focal point where these interactions happened. We all know, as the years went on, the demand for printed newspapers and publications dwindled. And so Petrella's creations started to become the centerpiece of his newsstand, branching from landscapes and celebrity portraits into useful signs and local guidebooks and pamphlets all filled with his art and writing. This perspective was uniquely his and very much inspired by his downtown location. I think he noticed and was a victim of the decline in selling newspapers. And so that was when he took it upon himself to come up with more creative solutions and say, I've got this, my resource is this spot right here where people know to come to me and have some sort of small exchange. And so he started selling his own artwork there. And he also started doing painting signs for local businesses or there's a council member, you know, there says... Elect Vicky de Jong, and uh, he has something in here that is like a translation guide. He made two like translation guides from like Mandarin Chinese to English. And, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> another one he had in there is like um, the values of poker hands, and he would illustrate the. You can cards. see that one over yeah. there. Yeah. So we did replicate the sign that's on front here because it was destroyed, but it was based on the photographs of Adam's early paintings and signs that were no longer in existence. There's one that's in the top right corner that says, no Hong Kong, Nichols, please. (laughs) Yeah, that was apparently one of the daily frustrations he had is people trying to pay him in foreign currency. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He also has a sign in there that we have the original of, which was like painted on a white board with red lettering, all capitals saying, free coffee for the 20th anniversary Bonanza. (laughs) (laughs) It was always the 20th anniversary. (laughs) Bonanza, it seems. (laughs) Yeah. And he also handed out signs with directions, right? I have a couple of them. Uh, Handy directions. Essex Street, where Jewish people used to be seven blocks east. Little Italy, where Italians used to be, two blocks north. (laughs) Yeah, of course, you know, he had to update those through the years because Little Italy was shrinking. And yeah, so there was always an element of humor in his stuff, too. And those were those directions were painted on the side, on the outside of what he then 
called Petrella's Point because he wanted people to come to this point and get directions to all the different areas around his central location. Yeah, um, he was at a major stop, Bowery and yeah. Canal. That's a really busy downtown subway stop. This is right off of the ramp from the Manhattan Bridge. So if you were even somebody entering or leaving Manhattan, you would see this. And it is this bright red box in a surrounding that was otherwise very drab at the time. So it was designed to stand out. So when something like that goes missing from such an iconic corner, people notice it. Many people just driving by considered it very much that, a part of the landscape that could be taken for granted until suddenly it's missing and then you feel this hole. (laughs) Did he ever talk to you about the future of his stand or what he thought was going to happen? Do you know towards the end, was he like worried regularly or was he just like, I've been here for 30 years and I'm going to be here in about 30 more? (laughs) Yeah, no, not. I never had conversations with him where he was trying to like, plan out for after his existence, what would happen to this newsstand. I think he saw it as a part of his life. It was part of his daily routine and it deserved to stay there. Like he didn't want to get kicked out. He didn't want his newsstand to be kicked out. And towards the end, it was a worthwhile fight to to go up and say, listen, I have the documentation. I am legally allowed to be here. And, and it was enough to just focus on maintaining, holding his ground. Because the rule is the line in the sidewalk that there's a line in the sidewalk halfway through where the pedestrians walk, right? The half of that sidewalk that is closer to the building is that building owner's responsibility. They have to do that sweeping and whatever. The line that is closer to the curb is city property. And it's the city's responsibility to maintain that. And part of that is maintaining these licenses for the newsstand operators. And so as a renter of city space, he had to keep up his part of the bargain. And so I think that was what he wanted to do. That was his home. There definitely was like a war being waged on these like newsstands as the city was going through this sort of let's make it more conformist, gentrified, open it up to businesses to take over the newsstands, right? I think somebody got a contract for designing yeah, designing the, the new the proper newsstands. architecture for what a newsstand should be in New York City. I think it was it started with Mayor Giuliani yeah, and the Quality of Life campaign, which is I think all the way in '97. But I think it was Bloomberg, Mayor Bloomberg, who made it happen when he signed the street furniture bill in 2003. Oh, street furniture bill. Yeah, there you go. In his own words, (laughs) to rationalize the streets of the city, where right now it's a hodgepodge of unattractive things. I think that's a direct hit at the reliquary right there. Oh, my God. (laughs) Everything we have to fight against. (laughs) To rationalize the streets of New York City, as if that's a goal that should be undertaken. Like, New York City is a place that should not be rationalized ever. That would be such a detriment. I mean, people come from all over the world to be here and to find their little piece of New York City. To think that there's one person's opinion that signifies the correct version of that is so against everything New York City should stand for. I think people realize with that homogenization of the street furniture, the city lost a way of expressing itself. Um, You know, the people that live here are the ones that should decide what your day-to-day experiences include. 
from the perspective of somebody who lives here and who is experiencing it firsthand, not from a corporation who is deciding which places around the entire city are the things that everybody should see. Just an elite group of people that have profit as their number one incentive. Yeah, I think originally he was being grandfathered in. The part that I do remember is that it was initially shut down maliciously and in the night by a new company that was moving in and taking over the existing diamond exchange that he was in front of and had worked very copacetically for decades. But when they wanted to change the look of that block so drastically that a new corporate bank was coming in with their... Shiny new windows and signage. (laughs) Yeah, they had a vision. They had professional designers come in that were going to make this appealing to a broad public. And on their blueprints, there was no room for a pre-existing newsstand right at the main entrance of their corner building. So, of course, they took it upon themselves in the middle of the night to dismantle this thing and throw it into the dumpster. So, wow, so it literally went in the dumpster. There was no like, we're going to tear this down. Do you want to come and take anything? No, it was a clandestine move on their part and it was not legal. And so thankfully... Adam, with support of the community members that had known him to be a fixture on that corner for decades, fought back and said, you can't do this. You can't be the big bully corporate institute that just moves into our block and tells us what this street is going to look like. And so Adam was able to fish out a few pieces from the dumpster and salvage whatever he could. But the bulk of that newsstand was destroyed. And it was never really strong to begin with, but it was made out of metal. And that's how it had lasted for 30 years of weathering on the streets of Canal. Now, with the support of the community, they talked to the bank and said, you've got to build a replacement here because he was, as we see, we have the original certificate of the newsstand operators. He was a part of the newsstand operators association. So it was a very much, you know, legitimate operation. So begrudgingly, the bank did build a replacement. They made it out of wood, just a little wooden shack that wouldn't have lasted more than a year or two. And so Adam, seeing that, immediately went out and bought some metal flashing and did what he could to fortify this structure as best as he was able. By this point, he's already in his 80s. So he's lived a long life, but he's still going strong and doing actual manual construction on this place. So what we have here is the replacement that he painted a metal siding for his new newsstand and the original windows that he was able to salvage from the dumpster there. What was your first reaction when you heard of his passing? Was Did it occur to you right away that we need to do something about his stand? Oh, absolutely, yeah. When he passed away, the, the local newspaper reached out to us to make a little statement because they knew that For one, I was inspired by Adam's work at the newsstand in the making of the original city reliquary site. And I was very thankful for Adam for that. And the fact, in fact, the first time we got featured in a newspaper article as the city reliquary, I went straight back to Adam to say, look, this is something that you put out into the city and inspired me to do this. And I have you to thank for it. So yeah, so when he passed away, it was a sad time. His nephew was his only surviving next of kin and lived in Florida. And so we were put in touch with him. And so thankfully, his nephew did have an interest in trying to preserve it and entrusted the contents of the newsstand to us at that time. And at the same time, 
The same year, we were invited by a curator, Martina Batan, who was putting together a gallery show for the Dumbo Arts Center. And this was around 2006? Around that time, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the Dumbo Arts Center would do an annual show, and we were asked to give a presentation on behalf of the city reliquary there. But because of Adam Petrella passing and the newsstand coming down at that same time, I thought it would be most poignant for us to recreate it in the gallery. Not because the things that he made were better at home in a gallery, but because they they were losing their home on the streets and I wanted to have just this temporary moment to sort of give it a new context. And for people who are walking through the streets and not seeing their immediate surroundings until it gets the framework of the gallery to elevate it. And in a sense, that's basically what we're trying to do at the Reliquary as well, is to take things that are part of everyday life that are overlooked and just put them behind a pane of glass or within the ornate frame or behind a red velvet rope so that you can go back out into the world later and maybe appreciate the newsstand in a different way as being almost more authentic when it's not in the gallery, having seen it out of context. What's on that corner now? The bank and nothing noteworthy. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing new. There's one thing that is constant in the city since its very beginning, it's change. And in many cases, the same major changes happened to like in Times Square. And many people did say, hey, this is, we're cleaning this up. We're getting rid of the undesirables. And it was more of the peep shows and all are going to be leaving. And this is going to become much more family friendly. And so in a sense, it's, it did make New York City much more accessible to the broader public by itself being homogenized as a city and looking more like that mainstream America, but in my vision, much less unique or much less, I think, much less accurate of a portrayal of the individual characters that live here and truly make up of what the city is. That's why it was important for you guys to have Petrella's point. Exactly, yeah, Yeah. yeah. This has been Undiscarded Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and civic organization in Brooklyn, New York, in partnership with Citizen Racecar. My name is Tanya Muhammad, and I produce this show in collaboration with David Hoffman, who edits the stories. Post-production and original music by Jose Miguel Baez. Contributing producer, Jacob Ford. Production manager, Gabriela Montequin. Outreach managers, Sarah Shalantano and Condi Chantelou. To learn more about the artifacts in this episode, check out undiscarded.org and be sure to follow at City Reliquary on Instagram for facts and pictures. You can hear about the museum's mission, exhibits, and events at cityreliquary.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Undiscarded, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and be sure to leave a review and help us spread the word. There are so many more stories to tell.